hanging round downtown by myself and I had so much time to sit and think about myself and then there she was like double cherry pie yeah there she was like disco super fly I smell sex and candy yeah Who's that lounging in my chair? Who's that casting devious stares in my direction? Mama, this surely is a dream. Yeah. Yeah, Mama, this surely is a dream. Diggin'. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Oh, welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program, a very high-energy Thursday episode. We've got a ride-along partner for the first time ever. It's fantastic. Charlie Hurt, an old friend, Charlie Hurt. I tell you, that uh, intro music was something else. <laughs> I mean, who, who, did you, who did you guys hire to sing that? Well, listen, it's an all-candy episode. We felt like we needed to provide some good sort of all-candy, high-energy intro music for you, Joe. I, I, I love how you, you really do hit those high notes really nicely. <laughs> it's, it's impressive. Is there is there something else you need to tell, to tell us about? No, no, no. It's uh, taking medicine for that? Well, it's talent. T- pure talent, talent. You primarily. Can just, you can just reach the high ranges. We can do everything here. It's, t- it's talent room. and it's harmony. It's harmony. Mm-hmm. And we're so glad to have you in studio today because I think, you know, we, we really work best now that we've got this great studio. And we can sit here, you know, we recorded this podcast on Zoom <laughs> yeah. for for six months, which was obviously very difficult. But, you know, we have an improvisational tone to this to this variety program. That's exactly right. So well, having, a, having a guest here in person, I think it's going to even make it better. So our listeners will probably know Charlie best from his work at Fox News. But you do a lot of other things, don't you? Yeah. Um a lot of uh, but a lot of it I can't like like talk about in public. Oh, that's fair. I mean, it's uh, oh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. You just like a criminal or something. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, you know, you know, when you when you run a farming operation, I couldn't find a place to park when I got here because I have a dead animal in the back of my truck. <laughs> And I, I thought it, was, it would be a little bit aggressive to like pull into like a parking garage, and and then and, and and I don't know. I mean, I just take I take parking tickets as like that's that's what you pay to park around here because <laughs> it's not worth going in. Yeah, it's the cost of doing business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just well, it's just, I mean, you're going to pay seventy five dollars to park your car anyway. Right. So a seventy five dollar parking ticket is you know, but I I've got like I was walking out and uh, and a, I had a a, a dead gu- a guinea. Yeah, we got we have a very what? large. Fowl is operation. It, a, is Chip. that a pig? No, again, no, no, that's no a guinea pig. No, it's a, a guinea's a bird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, they're great. And um, anyway, but when when one dies, you can't just leave it there because then, especially if you don't know what what it died from. Otherwise, you could feed it to the pigs. Okay. But if you don't know what it died from, you don't know. So I threw it in the back of the truck, and I was going to go to the dump, and um, I never made it to the dump. 
And so I drive up here and I'm like, I was getting out of the truck yesterday. I was like, good God, what is that smell? And I walk back and there's a freaking guinea with all these flies flying. And then, and so then I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't park the truck. In so you brought it to DC. I did. And, and, but now, now I, I was telling, I, I, I wanted to take the thing out. I just sort of toss it in the bushes or in a trash can or something like that. But then there are cameras everywhere. And so can you imagine if somebody's like ring doorbell catches dumbass here like, <laughs> with a dead animal <laughs> throwing it in a trash can or something? Hey, I there's would, Fox News personality Charlie Hurt yeah, with dead animals. With a dead animal in the back of the truck. He probably abused it. And I didn't, by the way. I fed this thing. I, I hatched this thing. I, I, it, it died. Not because of me. I'm just giving it a proper burial. And I missed the garbage. Well, you're a dump. you're an environmentalist to your core. Charlie. Well, I we, really am. Yeah, we re- we really appreciate it. But listen, preemptive apologies to Senator Shelley Moore Capito, who's also on the program today. Uh, I feel like she's well, she's a great interview for starters, and she gives us an update on all of the infrastructure and stuff. But you're gonna have to wade through some fun here to get to all of that. So, so where do you want to start? A serious person, and that's the problem. That's the problem, right? right. When you have serious people which we tend to do uh you know preemptive apologies to their communication staff i guess Smug, should we talk about, where should we start? Should we start with the Australian Olympic equestrian? Yes, we should absolutely start there. So so here so essentially what happened is dressage I think we go. <laughs> yeah. um, there was a uh, Australian uh, Olympic equestrian rider was suspended after testing positive for cocaine. And to be clear that's the, the rider not the horse. Okay. All right. So, well, there's been a lot of suspensions for, for drug stuff. We've seen American athletes. Uh, cocaine is not, I think that's like pretty unique. We haven't seen that a lot popped up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I wouldn't see the problem if they gave it to the horse. Like, I guess it could be considered like performance enhancing for the rider. Like, it, 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 like in a horse race, you want your driver to be, or your, your rider to be as small and light as possible. So I guess cocaine, you know. Did anybody see Scarface? <laughs> if, if there's ever been an, a performance-enhancing drug, it's cocaine, right? <laughs> nothing I don't know if you want Scarface. You want Tony Montana riding your horses? I, I, would, like, I would like him representing the United States at the Olympics in Tokyo. <laughs> a very, I think it would be fast, just fantastic. Very pro-Cuba take. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, look, it raises a decent question. They're testing this job. Does, does it ultimately impact the performance of the jockey? And, but also um, uh, you said that the horse was not on cocaine, but, but the horse, remember at the Kentucky Derby, the horse got. Oh yeah. We've covered this extensively. Junkie horse. Yeah. yeah, The junkie horse. The junkie horse. That got, and you know, Donald Trump was the only politician who dialed in on that, like on day one. Yeah. And I, and all these people, they I, I get so tired of listening to people say about Donald Trump, you know, I really don't want to hear his opinion about uh, We don't need to hear his opinion about everything. You know, when something like that happens, the first thing I say to myself, is, I wonder what Donald Trump thinks about <laughs> And you know what? Within like five hours, he never disappoints. <laughs> He's always the dude there. always had hot takes, like way before getting involved in politics. Yeah. Like you, you think about like all of his takes he had on pop culture and the entertainment <laughs> industry. You know, bad food restaurants. He Miss gave America. like hilarious, <laughs> Miss America, hilarious reviews of Diet stuff. Coke, everything. The best thing about Donald Trump was he was like your buddy on the couch. Yeah. You know, he just is like he's sitting next to you watching TV and he's like, you believe this shit? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. But I mean, I 
Look, the Olympics is. I guess it's a pretty important thing. You can't make. You got to make sure that people aren't on cocaine. Or I don't think. Uh, no, no, no. Opposite take. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you survive COVID and the COVID protocols at this Olympics, I think everything else should be on the table. I don't think you should test for anything. You know, it's right. It's the first athlete I've seen that's tested anything other than COVID. Than COVID. Maybe cocaine's the cure for COVID. Yeah, yeah, but what about the chick that yeah, uh, was tested it? for, she was like pot. Yeah, it was, was like, it a tennis player, an Olympian or something like no, that? No, no, no. She no, was she's a the runner. 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 An amazing runner. Amazing runner. Yeah, she had just like broken world records for. Oh, and she had a relative who passed away and accordingly had, you know, some time by herself and apparently had smoked some pot and now she can't run in the Olympics. That's and she's nuts. a world record holder, I think. Yeah, she she it's unofficial because it was during a heat. Is that a word? Yeah, that we yeah. talk about trial maybe. Yeah, trial. Yeah, and um, yeah, and but but since it was, but she literally smashed the world record by like you know four tenths of a second. And I think we can all yeah. agree that pot. Yeah, is pot not a performance. Yeah, right, right. Pot right. didn't help her. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I I do agree that I mean, if you you have rules and right. you gotta you know you can't have rules and then and then and then not obey them. So it's kind of it's kind of. But it's it's a little bit like complaining about an election after the election. You kind of, if you've got complaints, you kind of got to register them either after you win or before the election. And so everybody complaining about her her drug her pot test, you know, I, I'm sympathetic, but but the rules are the rules. Yeah, you right. Know? The rules are the rules. Yeah. Smug, can the horse uh, compete alone? See, Ooh. now that's a good proposition. The, you know, along with uh, you know, kind of what. Duncan was saying is this uh, this Olympics is already completely screwed up. It's already messed up. All right. There's going to be no one allowed to watch any of the events. Right. And you're getting, you know, so many athletes who have tested positive for COVID. They're all, you know, they're all getting removed. This is not a standard Olympics and we shouldn't treat it as such. You know, we should try to make this Olympics about enjoying the spectacle. So, like I previously suggested, every country should send one Olympian who has to compete in every sport. Like an Ironman. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Let the horse run alone. That's Let's good see take. what the horse does. <laughs> you know? Would you fight a horse on cocaine? I mean, no. I, that changes the dynamic. It does. So, I guess that could, you know, in fighting, I guess it could be performance enhancing. But in a race, I mean, shit, whatever no, no, the no. junkie horse wants. <laughs> no, but you have to be on cocaine. To fight a horse, to have any, that's to have a, any it depends. I, Smug or is PCP. Smug is well on record, Charlie, as uh, iterating and reiterating that he will fight a horse, and he will take one out. So the question is, what's the largest animal you think you could beat one on one? You know, no weapons. Yeah, what's your answer to that? Shark. <laughs> you think you could beat a in shark. water? Sure. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, I've spent so much time thinking about this. So, you know, I mean, if you ever go spearfishing, yeah, um, I've never done it. And every time I read a story about somebody getting eaten while spearfishing, it's like, well, eh, well that makes sense. Um, you know, you're, you're shooting fish, you're getting blood all over you. You're in the water and there's sharks in the water with you. And so it makes sense. So somehow or another, I don't know how this happened. My son got me spearfishing in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, like earlier this summer. And you're swimming around underwater with a with a spear gun, and you're shooting fish, and it's an explosion of of blood, and then it starts wriggling around. And I kid you not, I look down, and there's a ten foot shark, like just like swimming right next to me. <laughs> I remain calm. I've thought a lot about this. <laughs> I could take on a shark. There is absolutely no, there's no doubt in my mind. The scene in Jaws where the shark, th that's where it gets dangerous. When the shark comes out of the water and is on the boat. 
and you're kicking. You don't. That's not what you do. You take the you take the spear gun. You hold it down, and then and you, you know you make it so that he can never get his maw around any of your appendages. That's that, how you do it. And that's it. But then did you go for eyes? Of course. And yeah, the, and, the, and, the gills, and the gills and the nose. Yeah. But but yeah. But it's uh, but the, the problem with their eyes is you know they have they have two eyelids. They have a I love yeah. you know that. Yeah. They and come. They, they come right before they strike. The eyelids pop over their eyes yeah. and they roll back. Josh, of course, the old this. man knows that. Well, I know that from Jaws. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, you know this. It's also Shark Week. So. Black eyes, like a doll's eyes. <laughs> doll's eyes. <laughs> okay, yeah. so did you have to encounter the shark, or did it leave you alone? No, actually, it was very peaceful. I, I couldn't leave. I, I, I was stuck. I couldn't leave because I had to stay there with the shark. And uh, and I was afraid to look away. And the problem was, I did. I, I, I poked my head up. I'm, I have a snorkel, and I poke my head up. I see nobody. Nobody's around me. And the boat. The boats are too far away. You can't. I'm not Jesus. You're not going to outrun the thing. <laughs> and I'm sure as hell not going to outswim the thing. So I kind of hung out for a little while, and uh, and we just kind of. So I didn't shoot any more fish. I didn't like. You well, know. you still had the gun. You could. Shoot I had the, the gun. No, no. But then, because you shoot the thing, and then, and then, and then it's gone. The the arrow is gone, and then you got to bring it all back in. And oh, you're wrap connected it all. to the shark at that point. That's the problem. Oh. You shoot a shark, and then you're connected to. It. That's not going to do you any good. <laughs> and so, so no, actually, I never fired it. My firing it was going to be like the nuclear code. That was going to be the last thing. I just held the thing like this and used it. You know to keep a, something between me and it. And then finally, you know how, how have you ever been snorkeling? It's, yeah. It's, I, I, I've, I'm not accustomed to it. Uh, but eventually after literally 15 minutes with this thing, I'm, I'm not kidding you, it was 10 foot long. Um, I start hearing this, and I'm like, finally I put my head up and it's everybody, they're all in the boats. And they're like, come on, oh, sharks! Wow. No. And I'm like, I know, I've been sitting here for 15 minutes with this shark, like trying to like negotiate with it. Like, I'm not the guy. You go after one of the other guys. You know what they say? You know, it's like you don't have to outrun, you know, you don't have to outrun the bear, you have to outrun your son. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't right. have to outrun the shark, you have to outrun your you have to outswim your, your son. But my son had gotten out of the water and was in the boat. So he outran you. He, you know, no, no, outran. They had started the engines up and everything. And the, <laughs> They're like ready the to shark go. Shark is getting angry, like. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 dude, no, we're cool, man. We're cool. totally cool. I'm not going to shoot anything else. We're just, we're just hanging out here together. Well, Charlie Herb prepared to take on the shark. We're going to see in Iowa whether or not Smug has got what it takes with a horse. I, I mean, would like to see. The, the question was if the horse comes after me. Well, well it looks that you're wrong. Hundred percent. A horse is going to catch it. <laughs> What's the technique? I mean, you have to have. A oh technique. no, he's got a very specific. You, I mean, you just fake it out. The, I mean, the, the the whole crux of it is how smart can a horse be if for thousands of years people put blinders on these things and they're like, all right, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. You know, not the sharpest you know, knife in the drawer. So you just fake it out and you give it a kick to the head. <laughs> or the, I thought the ribs were also a, yeah both. Go for both. Your 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 take your take is they're incredibly fragile. They are very fragile. You think you could faint like like yeah, give them a a, sh a shoulder? I, I can tell you from experience. Ask anybody who's ever had to dealt deal with like uh, owning a horse or, or they are so <laughs> fragile. Horse. They are so fragile. Like you know, you give it the wrong food to eat and the, its leg cramps up and like oh my god, you have to fix this or the horse. Is so now we've gotten to the point, the whole point where I brought this this topic up, right? Charlie owns horses. 
right? No, no, no. It's even better. And you've been hurt by I've, them. I've discovered the proper way to have horses is to have someone else own them. Yes. Because they're so damned expensive. Yeah. People think a boat is a problem. Yeah. Try owning a horse. Yeah. So, but you just let somebody else who owns the horses keep their horses on your farm. And then when the vet comes and they hand you the bill, you just send the bill to somebody else. <laughs> That is smart. It's fantastic. So, but but the the origination for the idea of having you a full ride-along partner with Ruthless was we did an episode where Smug outlined how he was going to take out a horse, right? I'm very, I'm I'm very skeptical. (laughs) We we were, we were as well. It's going to work. Yeah, we were very skeptical. The moment. Are you going to be in chaps when you do this? No. Oh, no. (laughs) Helmet? The, the, the The moment that this episode airs, I see you on TV. With a shiner like you'd been in the ring with Mike Tyson. Yeah. And I hear from mutual friends, a horse did it to you. Yeah. No, it was ugly. And, and the, the, but the real problem was how I wound up on TV in the first place. My wife was out of town. And uh, so I was, you know, doing my stuff over the weekend, whatever. And Monday morning, and I had to go on TV, and I had gotten into this altercation with the horse, and it was pretty ugly. Uh, but, you know, I'm not a vain guy. I'm like, whatever. Nobody will notice. Oh, Jesus. And so I go show up and I go to get on TV and then suddenly everybody notices. Oh, and, and obviously... And, and the whole half of your face was black. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I realize now it was really obvious. Oh, Jesus. But then, of course, then the other problem was then I had to make up a story trying to explain to my... Because my wife is always getting pissed at me for getting on the horses and riding and doing all sorts of idiotic stuff. And I had to come up with an, a, a, a lie about what happened to me. And all of my lies fell through. Like I was vacuuming and the vacuum, you know, came up and hit me between the. What actually happened was I was I'd been working all day. I was hot, sweaty. I'm, I'm a big uh, opponent of wearing helmets. I think that they uh, are the you know, how many of the guys that stormed the beaches in Normandy were grew up wearing helmets doing anything? <laughs> You know, you can't have a, you cannot have a country. Such a base take. No. I think it's they were true. wearing, I think they were wearing helmets when they stormed Normandy, though. Well, yeah, they were also getting shot at. <laughs> oh, yeah. And most of them lost it. But you don't storm, you don't storm the beaches of Normandy with pussies. Okay. You know? Okay. Fair. I mean, That's fair. That's fair. And, and therefore, you're not going to ride a horse with one. No. And, okay. And I don't, and, and my kids have never worn them. I, I just, I think that they're, I, I just, I think that they're, I think it's the slippery slope to full, turning us into a nation of whiners and losers. Anyway, so, hardcore. so, so I get, so, so I'm out there and it's hot and I, I get on, but well, obviously as you get older and you get fatter, it gets harder and harder to get up on. And this is not like a Shetland pony. This is like a big horse. Right. Mm-hmm. It would kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I go up there and I mean, I'm, I'm so old and fat. I I can't even get my fir- my left foot into the stirrup. It's like I have to. It's like a yoga pose to get the thing in there, and then and then you have to swing your fat ass over the rump of the horse. And I was doing this. There are flies everywhere. The horse is pissed. It's like ninety five degrees. He's like, I know we're not going for a ride right now. And I'm like, Yeah, no, no, no. We're and at this point, I'm getting. I'm like, All right, you're pissing me off because he's like stamping around. And I'm like, No, 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 no. I own. I, I, I'm, I'm the human here. I'm going to own you. You're gonna do what I'm telling you to do. And I swing my thing around, my, my leg over. At the same moment, he bucks his head back. Oof. And the back of his, the crown of his, his uh, skull hits me right between the eyes. 
and my it smashes my glasses. They cut into my below my eye and above my eye and sh go splintering everywhere. And I'm sitting up there. I get up on top of them and I'm sitting there like, what the hell? Just it's like the little <laughs> Tweety birds are going around. I'm like, whoa, what happened here? And so we're sitting there and he's still pissed off and he's like stamping around and everything. And then I look down and I see what's left of my glasses and I'm like, shit. He's going to step on my glasses. And so I'm like, hold on. <laughs> so I get off. I jump down and I pick up my glasses and they're in like three pieces and I put them in my pocket. And then I walk around to kind of his, the front of him because, and this goes to your point about how they're not really all that smart, but they, they, they have a, huge, a, a very high emotional quotient. They're very intelligent emotionally. So I walk around the front of him and he's still pissed off. And he's like, man, get off me. <laughs> And he takes one look at me. I can just feel that like, like the half of my cheek is like hanging down. I'm going to need to get stitches. Blood is like pouring down my entire, I'm, I'm wearing, oh, it's like, geez. it's like a, like a bib of blood all down the front of my shirt. I walk around, he takes one look at me and he's like, <laughs> and he immediately calms down. And he realizes that something really bad has happened to me. And he, I'm sure he can smell the blood because they have amazing scent. I mean, those nostrils are yeah. massive. And so he was like, okay, we're cool. And so I get up on the horse, uh, get back up on him, uh, and we go for like an hour-long ride. Mainly because I really didn't want to stop and go and look Wait, in the mirror. Wait, so with this open wound, you went and I finished I, the I, I ride? Was by, I was by myself, I did, and I, I really didn't want to freaking deal with it. I mean, you could have bled out. Yeah, no, I, but it was starting to crust up a little bit. But the thing was, I just, I really didn't want to deal with whatever. It was, it was going to be cut like down to my jaw, to my cheekbone. And I just was like, you know what? I, we're going to go for a ride. What a mountain put, man. Put, put, put this out. And then, of course, when I, you know, I finally, I get home. By the time we, you know, go for a ride and I, I get, and that's the other thing is you can't, you can't let, it's like anything in life. You can't let the horse think that he can just headbutt you and then have, have his way. Well, now you're on the, now you're on the smug train. So right, it, right after it saw you were bleeding, it just calmed down. As soon as he saw it, and he real and, and I think he probably knew that he had done it. He went complete chill, and 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 it's funny actually. Ever since then, um, he's he's been like super gentle with me. <laughs> yeah, see, uh, horses are smart and decent, and you want to fight them, smart. Well, here's the thing: is well, right when it calms down, that's when you go for the round. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no mercy. Smug is no mercy. That's when you go for the round. <laughs> when his defenses you are gotta down. You got to take a shot. That's the thing. You got to take a shot. And if you take the shot and you're still standing, you got the horse where you want him. I would like to, I, I would really like to see this. In also, fact, all, I, I would like I would like to provide the venue for it. Well, here's the thing is as long as we have like video angles yeah. from you know. My experience with horses is limited to dressage horses and those are among the like, you know, Daintiest. They're sort of the divas. Have you ever ridden the... dressage? I do not. I do not. My girl, my girlfriend at the time rode dressage, and and I was part of the whole. I mean, it, it, like you said, taking care of a horse is so much work and so expensive. I feel like his entire vision of a horse is form formulated in that experience. Well, yeah. I mean, I base you know my opinion on my experience. Yeah. I think I, I think you need some more experience with like workhorses. See, that's a and different thing. Like I'm not like a, mule. a damn Clydesdale. You know, that's a that's a whole different animal. That's like half dinosaur at that point. You can know? I can I before at the risk of getting too deep here, can I get one more I need one more Charlie Hurt hot take on where we're at with like topics that come up frequently on the program in addition to fighting horses? Space. Mm. Bezos, did he go to space? Totally faked. One hundred percent faked. 
Did you see when, when, like when he landed and they were all, it was, they were staging it right before our eyes. So they're like looking through the window, like, no, no, not yet. You can't come out yet. And they were setting up the stairs and they were like positioning people around it. And then they opened the door and then they all walked out. Like they had just, they, they, they didn't go anywhere. <laughs> That's the, the whole thing take. was fake. That's the best take. We're going to get so many angry comments. I can't wait. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I just want to make sure I understand. So Smog's take is that they didn't make it to space, right? They went high in the air, but they didn't make it to space. Your take is that they didn't go anywhere. Totally faked. No, no, no. <laughs> the thing, and, and you look at the, the capsule thing that, they're, that they, got, they climbed out of, it, it's completely unaerodynamic. It's not going to go anywhere. And I'm not saying conclusively that the moon landing was faked. I'm just saying this was definitely fake. <laughs> I didn't even ask about the moon landing. Do you have, is, 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 at least in your view, it's possible they were walking around Yuma in 1969? It's out of my area of expertise. <laughs> I'm skeptical. Okay. Color me skeptical. And, I, and, and I'm a lot more skeptical. Like every, every month that passes over the past like five years of all the BS that, <laughs> that, that has been passed off as accuracy and truth. Whether it's from the media or the government or Democrats. That'll do it. That'll do it. Oh, I'm, The I've, past five years have really been an exercise in how far the media and the government can lie to people. Totally. And, let's get into that. And, 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 but seriously, you know, if uh, let's just say that aliens landed and took over all the voting machines and uh, converted 60 million votes from Trump to Biden. I'm not saying that did happen. I'm just saying if that did happen. Um, it would be like one of the lesser dishonest things that has happened in the last six years. Right? Yeah, it wouldn't even be top five. No! no. It'd be like, yeah. So, Charlie, when I met you, oh, uh, I was working in the Senate. Do, do uh, I remember that? Yeah, well, barely. And there's a lot of reasons for that. <laughs> but, but you were working in the Senate as an actual reporter, actual journalist. Like a real one, not an opinion one, like yeah. a real one. Yeah. How the hell did you, I mean, have you seen this? Has this been happening all along? Because we've come to the conclusion on this show that like journalism's basically dead, totally. right? And the objective facts that we all sort of understand and appreciate are no longer even factored into the narrative that is written and talked about on a day-to-day -day basis. From your perspective... Has this been going on forever or are we just, are we more in tune with it now? You know, you know, when, when we were up on the Hill um, and I was doing newspapers, uh, it was, uh, it, there was sort of a, a sort of a known liberal bias. Like the New York times had a report, a well-known reporter today who covered conservatives for the New York times. Oh yeah. And I would be like, Oh, really? So who covers liberals for y'all? You know, it's it's like it's it's like that, you know? And it was and it was just funny. It was like ridiculous and so you knew that there was going to be sort of this jaundice about everything, but it was okay. You you, you sort of accepted it. Um and then something happened. I think it really kind of happened with Obama. Mm -hmm. And when when Obama got elected, all these people they just became like stories no longer mattered what mattered was promoting this historic figure that it was doing and they just fell in love with him and then they and then they and and that sort of that that broke it one way and then and then along came Trump which of course the one of the reasons that he came along and was so successful 
is because of Obama and because of the way the media treated Because of Obama. them. Yeah. Right. And, and and all the stuff about, you know, Obama was born in Kenya or wherever, you know, all that stuff, what that did was it proved that Trump was willing to call these people on their stuff. It didn't matter that people did or did not or didn't have an opinion about where Obama was born. What mattered was Trump was a guy who was going to call everybody on their stuff and he didn't care. And he was willing to just get freaking lit up for it. And so, th so they were like, okay, well, at least this guy's, this guy's not with the program. Um, <laughs> we'll try this out for a while. <laughs> and I mean, I think that the, the, the Obama thing is a perfect example because uh, uh, most people, I would say, probably don't even realize the origin of, of birtherism was Hillary's campaign was yes. trying to shop that to, to, to the media when she was in a primary with Obama that Obama eventually won. Yeah. Right. And, and also during that time, and, and you were talking about, you know, basically in the beginning of the Obama administration, they became, you know, activists rather than journalists. Do you guys remember Journalist? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, for our listeners, that was it was basically like a like a Google group or a listserv or, or something like that. of Very prominent journalists who were covering the uh, Obama administration and, and Congress. And, and basically it was a message messaging tool where they all basically coordinated their message for for how to help Barack Obama. It's yeah. truly remarkable that that a lot of these people are still prominent journalists in America who are on this thing. He heralded as as balanced, you know, straight reporters. And yes. a great example is like uh, I think when that came out, Weigel, they were like, "This is too egregious." Well, but, he it, lost his yeah. job at the Washington but, Post, <laughs> and now he's back. <laughs> yeah, but but the Weigel story is even funnier in that. He was what Charlie just said. The conservative. The conservative right. guy that oh, Washington right. Post Covering. assigned to con to cover conservatives. Insane. Right? Insane. So they, they ran, but it, it's even better, guys. They ran him out of there, right? Because he was on journalists and obviously he couldn't be a conservative, so he couldn't cover conservatives. And they brought in Jen Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's too good. It's really too good. Well, let's get into some news, guys, because, um, oh, where do we start? How about the this pipeline story? I think it fits well with the Charlie genre that he was just talking about, about sort of how journalism basically covered the Trump administration and how they viewed everything through the lens of Russia and a, and a stolen election and everything else. Well, this pipeline that Putin has, right, this Nord Stream 2 thing that you've heard about, that the United States has had huge problems with, obviously, totally not in our national security interests. Uh, Biden gets in, the tough-on-Russia guy, right? The guy who's going to set Putin straight, really look him eye-to-eye. Eye. He gets in, and he immediately waves this thing through. No objections. We're good. We're good with it. <laughs> well, he closes pipelines here in the U.S. Right. Yeah. Well, he yeah. closed the Keystone Pipeline. Well, and, and even better, lets the Russians close our pipelines. Yeah, they hacked it like a week later. <laughs> Colonial pipeline. But the, yeah. but the, America's back, baby. <laughs> back better. But the uh, <laughs> but gas prices are not Joe Biden's fault. No, that's the right. The fact that you're paying four fifty at the pump right now is not Joe Biden's fault. No, it's definitely not so, that he handed. So this is my question. About, I mean, all this stuff—it's so absurd. It's so ridiculous. But my question is always the same thing because I, 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 I assume I'm always getting taken for a ride by somebody. I don't know who it is, and and the problem is if you don't know who it is, that's when it gets really ugly. Is that's when you really get like completely mugged. So, 
who's laughing at? It? I mean, somebody has to be sitting around this whole Joe Biden, the, the whole Hunter Biden thing. Oh yeah, the smoking, you know, cheese whiz and a crack pipe, and then selling artwork and you know, somebody is laughing at us. Dude, that's got to be the KGB at this point, doesn't it? I yeah. mean, if you could have, if if you could set up Russian intelligence operations in a way that would have had the United States of America and all of the elite institutions entirely focused on your country <laughs> trying to take down the current president of the United States only to have that end after two impeachments and then you get another guy in who just waves your stuff through. <laughs> and I mean, I think that's... So the story that broke, it, it completely highlights all of that. So so this Nordstrom uh, pipeline benefits Russia. They essentially are going to start having a monopoly on, on gas in, in Western Europe. But here's the kicker. is So Ukraine ha- obviously has a problem with this. You know, Russia making tons of money is not a good thing for Ukraine. But the Biden administration is asking Ukraine not to make waves. They're demanding they become silent and telling them that if they don't shut up, if they don't, you know, stay silent on this issue, that's going to be a problem for bilateral relations. They said it point blank to them. So let's rewind the tape on that. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Wasn't Wasn't Donald Trump impeached for this sort of thing? Oh, I thought I thought telling Ukraine to shut up and do stuff is what impeached a president of the United States. Yeah. Quid pro Joe. That's what we got now. Quid pro Joe. <laughs> oh, and then old Hunter was sitting on the board yeah. of that outfit at the yeah. time. Burisma. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's truly remarkable that they've got this. Is they're doing all of this with a straight face, out in the open. To no consequence whatsoever. Yeah, but so so part of that though is that that uh, because so many of so many people in Washington still listen to these stories and still like get cowed by them, and you know whatever you think of Donald Trump, and obviously you know you at the end of the day, you know he was willing to uh, blow these people off and ignore the stories or fight them toe to toe, go toe to toe in fighting them, and and I wonder if you know. I, when I when I look at the lessons to be learned from from Trump, I wish Republicans figured out that you know what you can you 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 can start blowing off these stories. Yes, I mean look at Matt Gates. Matt Gates is out. He's out. He's out doing a free Britney like uh, stories about free Britney. I mean he's gotten like chewed to pieces. Over the scandal. I mean, down- in fairness, it sounds like he slept with 17-year-olds and <laughs> transported them across state lines. Allegedly. Right? Allegedly. 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 But then... But, so, but to, your, to your point, to your point, the, these stories don't actually resonate with any Americans. Completely at all, not. At all. And so, which, which, is why, which is why you've got Jen Psaki sitting there from the podium saying, oh, we flagged a bunch of stuff for Facebook to take down. It's because they know their greatest megaphone is the mainstream media that has zero credibility that no one listens to no one clicks on their stories on social media. And the only way that they can change that game is to rig the game. That's right. To force people to pay attention to what the New York Times says every day. And no one wants to. Their, their greatest gift is shamelessness. Yeah. And unfortunately, Republicans are uh, don't have enough of it. Agreed. And, and same with like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was so brilliant because he was so shameless. <laughs> there was like nothing he wouldn't say or do. He could care less. And you had to kind of you had to kind of respect it. <laughs> well, I mean, look, we have a saying on this program. It's don't take the bait. Right. right. And, and at the 100%. core of not taking the bait is not engaging in the argument that the media wants you to engage in. Yeah. Right. 
Because it turns out, like, as of right now, as of today, Democrats in 2022 are running on two things, right? They're running on January 6th, and they're running on a horseshit economy. That's it, right? They're not going to be able to sell the horseshit economy because it turns out, like, hey, listen, when you can't afford a loaf of bread, who cares if it's a temperature of a degree and a half less in 56 years, which is basically what their agenda is. But, but the former is all they can talk. If you turn on CNN right now, it is about January 6th. Yeah, but, 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 but also, why is that? There's a reason for it. Yeah, it's because the only thing they can talk about. I mean, yeah, but, it's, but, but specifically, it's also because they don't want to talk about what actually matters to people. Exactly. Which is the freaking crime in their own neighborhood. Exactly. Right. And their own places being built, uh, burned to the ground. And the fact that we're not allowed to build a wall. Whatever you think about the wall... Uh, in Mexico, which I think is a fantastic idea, the, the you know the idea Nancy Pelosi acknowledges that she knows that walls work and she builds one around the Capitol because that's what matters to her. What doesn't matter to her are these cities that are burning to a ground. Exactly. I have had seven requests for an interview from people writing books about January sixth in the last two weeks. It's July twenty twenty one. This is going to sell like hotcakes. I mean. It is un. Who buys these things? Who buys these things? Well, it's the same wine moms, frankly, that have been just inundating the CNN airwaves and MSNBC since you know Trump got in office. It's going to be huge on NPR. Yeah, but these people actually believe that this somehow counteracts higher prices at everything that you pay for, crime rampant throughout your streets, open borders that is shifting fentanyl and opioids into your communities all across this country. Like none of this stuff they care about. And, and, and your schools have been shut down for a year because they got to rename them. And then when your kids get back into the classroom, they're going to tell them that they're racist. Yeah. The critical race. Yeah. Critical race theory, which, which makes you wonder whether they should open them in all. Right. <laughs> right. So, so, so I think that that nails it. It is the Dem messaging is incredibly weak right now. Because they can't talk about gas prices are up, prices of groceries are up, right. crime is rampant, like it's up by double digits in in major cities, like shootings, all 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 violent crimes. But the the result of this is uh, Morning Consult dropped this poll showing that the Democratic advantage for twenty twenty elections or twenty twenty two elections has narrowed since April. Yeah, there's a, a third of Republican uh, voters are extremely enthusiastic this early about the midterms and that's compared to like 10% less for Democrats. Well, but I, I also think that, uh, I think Biden and them, I think they realize it. And that's why, you know, the, like around, uh, the 4th of July, they had that thing about how, Oh, isn't it great? Hot dogs cost 13 cents. Or whatever it was that they said. <laughs> yeah. They saved 16 cents overall. Yeah. 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 Which of course compared to the, the, uh, height of the pandemic when yeah. like nobody was going anywhere. And by the way, that like half of the grocery store shelves were empty. Yeah. You couldn't buy anything anyway. Um, and then, and then you also get this where <laughs> this whole thing about how, um, Oh, no, we're not for defunding the police. Yeah, Republicans did Republicans it. Republicans are yeah. defunding police. Right. And they're like, do you actually, who's going to believe this? This is, a, it's absurd. They do know. They do know that, that they're yeah. going to lose the House at the least. No, this Hopefully is the be, Senate. What, we've said that, we've said it before. I'm going on on a limb. I'm going to say it again. This is going to be historic in terms of yeah. a Republican so do you think, win. What, what about the Senate? 
in I think a year and a half. Well, so I think it's good. I think the biggest challenge that Republicans have is recruiting yep. and making sure that they get candidates who are reflective of their state, which is always a challenge amongst Republicans. We've nominated some real pieces of shit throughout the year. But it's not, it, dude, it's not just that. It's also the fact that in this new environment and where so many of these campaigns are are you know, really driven by small dollar grassroots donations. You look at somebody like Mark Kelly or Raphael Warnock, who've got a list that they've built up over, you know, two years or, or three years, four years, whatever it is, uh, you know, that pays dividends. Yeah. And so you look at a state like Arizona that's got a late primary. I think primary is August, right? So, you know, you've got a bunch of candidates who, who, who you know, are, are, are vying for the Republican nomination. Then they got to turn around and they got to compete with the guy who's going to raise $100 right. million. Dollars. Yeah, and they're starting to spend that hundred million dollars the moment they have zero. The moment, yeah, right. So, so but so, so the, uh, obviously the map is unfavorable to Republicans next year yeah. in the Senate. Um, so, w- what's your range of like it, just ballpark? Without well, so here, here, let me just what I mean by recruiting. If Chris Sununu gets in in New Hampshire, that's basically like a Hickenlooper Hick analog in Colorado last mm-hmm. cycle. It's over. It's over. Right. He's going to win. He's going to win with a margin. He's beloved in right. New Hampshire. He gets in, that changes the entire map, right? Because without him, I'm not sure Republicans even compete in New Hampshire. Georgia, it's going to be tight no matter who it is, right? But if we get a candidate, I, I, I say generic, anybody sitting at this t- table with the exception maybe of Charlie who has got a lot of oppo on him. <laughs> I've lived my entire life to ensure that I could never run for public yeah. office. Well, you've succeeded, sir. Thank you. Uh, Honestly, good call. Yeah, but I even think we could get smug through and, be, and beat Raphael Warren. I really do. But but smug's not running. It could get worse fast. So, so, you know, we have to figure out a candidate there. Arizona, there's a lot of different candidates that have interesting things. Nobody's been tested at this level, right? So I think that's the so, rare occasion where a primary actually works and to our advantage. We yeah. can see somebody win. They could be competitive. All right. So, 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 th- so you raised two uh, interesting races that that you know I think are kind of huge disappointments uh, in uh, Arizona and in Georgia. But you had two candidates, one in each of those states, who ran and lost. Uh, on paper, they probably seem like really good candidates, but both of them were handpicked by sitting governors. And you would think that in the and and and. And, and this is a real problem. And I, and I don't know the, you know, because my general feeling is that, that primaries are always in, in, infinitely better than, uh, you know, uh, the conventions or whatever for picking these candidates because it puts them through something. But, but when you talk about, you know, wouldn't it be great to have a great candidate, have this candidate plop this candidate in? You have two situations where you had governors who could have picked anybody in the whole world. And Martha McSally, who is like could not be better on paper, lots about her that's very appealing. Unfortunately, she had just lost a race. And so I'm like, I'm sorry, she just lost a race. Why did you just drop her into this other seat? I'm, I, I just just from a, like a constitutional standpoint, I sort of have sort of a problem if voters just told you no, why you're but whatever. What, you know, what do you do when it just goes to show that like when you give one person the full authority to make the decision, they make a worse decision than if you give, uh, you know, seven million morons, you know, in, you know, that the shop at Walmart. You know? Well, the good news for you, Charlie, is I don't think Martha's running for a third time. Well, that's good. That's excellent. But of course, neither of these people has ever won an actual election. Right. They've all lost. Right. 
right. they've never like they have no idea what it means to win an election. No, I they think it's dropped fair. in there, and it turned out nobody wanted them. I, it's fair. I will also say we lost both states at every level. Right, so there is that. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> but uh, I have faith in the people of Arizona. I have faith in the people of Georgia. No, I think they're gonna, gonna they're gonna out. wake up. They're, they're gonna get. They're gonna pick some strong kids. I, dude, I I think losing has a way of focusing people in a, in a major way, and I think that's what this poll shows. You look at the enthusiasm for Republicans. It's just it just wasn't there before. I I really do feel like we're heading into a situation like after two thousand eight, Republicans were got so yeah, fired wave up territory that they just went all out wave territory. I think if Adam Laxalt runs in Nevada as a guy who unites Trump base yep. with like your establishment Republican, I think that is a a race that we win. I really do in this cycle. I think that we win that. Um, so those are all offensive. Everything I talked about is a Democratic held seat right so that's like a plus three territory if you make those things work you've got ohio where i'm confident that we're going to nominate the right person there's a ton of candidates it's going to be ugly as hell but i think almost all of them can win you've got pennsylvania we've done a couple of interviews we're going to do more with candidates who are running in pennsylvania i've been impressed i've been impressed with the interviews that we've done uh and i'm very convinced that those people especially because democrats are just a mess I mean, you yeah. got this guy, this Fetterman cat, who's a lieutenant governor. He's like six eight, just an asshole. I mean, every time the guy opens his mouth, he sounds like a complete idiot, a complete idiot. I, I really think the current situation where only Republicans are talking about issues that matter: gas prices are high, grocery prices are high, crime is a problem, and and what can the Dems talk about? They, you know, their their message to be like, actually, Republicans want to defund the police. That lasted like two weeks. And they're like, honestly, we were idiots for trying that one. Right. So 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 when he and, and Biden came out and gave that speech where he said in a few years, I think, you know, things will be fine with inflation. What? <laughs> in a few years. In a few years. He said no serious economist is worried about inflation. And Janet Yellen, the, the yeah, Charger said is like, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, it's a problem. Right. I mean, truly remarkable disconnect. So anyway, I think I think we've got a bunch of Midwestern things we got to figure out with Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin's always challenging. But in the end, if this environment is like we believe it will be, it's all about making sure we have players on the field that can take advantage of it. And I'm convinced we're going to do it. And we just have to do what the Democrats did really well in 2020, and that is expand the map. Yeah, which is what you're alluding to with with New Hampshire and in Nevada. You need multiple paths because you just never know what's going to happen. That's right. That's right. And we almost pulled an inside straight in the Senate last time around. You know, if it wasn't for that dreadful Georgia situation, which we don't need to belabor. Um, but anyway, I, I think that's good. You look at the fundraising numbers. The committees are doing okay. You know, Republicans are energized. That's the thing. That's the thing. Everybody's ready to play right now. But in, so in 2009, Charlie, you remember this. In 2009, after we got our tails kicked and had unified Democratic government, it took us months and months and months and months and months to try to build back at least enough confidence with the Republican base that we're ready to compete again. When we did, it was great. We are way ahead of schedule on that. Way well, also, ahead of schedule. Also, you know, um, you know, obviously, like healthcare is was something in 09 that was 
not a winning issue for Republicans uh, at that at that point. Um, and it, it's only sort of mildly been since then, um, perhaps because of an overreach. But when you look, but going back to just what you all said, you know, when you look at the issues right now, all the issues like if, if you took if you took if you did like a blind test uh, of Trump you know, Trumpism, and you took Trump out of it and just did all the issues, holy cow. It would oh, be like an 85... No, it's true. 15 issue, uh, uh, breakdown. It's like astonishing. It's true. It's the only reason why they keep talking about January 6th. They can't talk about right. these issues. Yeah. They can't they, talk about they, them. But, yeah, exactly. But but so my question, though, is that that I, I know, I just know from, you know, personal experience from, you know, people that I know talk to, and you see it... Um, you know, the, the lack of enthusiasm, like I, I get it that these polls say that there's a lot of enthusiasm for Republicans right now. And you would think that there would be. But I, I do think there, I think Republicans have a challenge if going forward, whatever happens, taking that enthusiasm that Trump had sort of isolated and conferring that onto a different candidate. You can't be vanilla. It's changed the world forever. Yeah. He's changed the world forever. I mean, Orange our, Sherbert. Our, our, can, our candidates and our politics cannot be a 2012 version of of Republican politics. Saying not Mitt Romney. That's that's basically. I didn't want to. Put Who it. let the dogs out? <laughs> what, what, what? Yeah, I mean, but you can already see it in the candidates that we've interviewed on the program. Like they're willing to take. They're coming on ruthless. Yeah. Right. People are people are willing. What to kind take, of moron does that? I, that's exactly right. right you know. <laughs> But if you're worried about what people in the mainstream media might say about you or might think about you, you wouldn't come on this show. Right. Yeah, Ted Cruz came on our show. Thanks, Thanks for telling me that. Now. After the whole <laughs> after the whole Cancun thing. He comes back from Cancun. What does he do? He comes on Ruthless. Yeah. And it was a huge success. <laughs> it was, for him? Yes. He loved it. And it was, I mean, look, I, I think we've changed the game in a lot of ways. The, the former president has a lot of, to do with that. No question about it, but oh, yeah. but I think I think what you've done throughout the course of your career, Charlie, in in questioning assumptions that so-called elitists that that know more than the rest of us have have bestowed these narratives it is now kind of more commonplace within the conservative community than it ever has been. Yeah, well, and and, and I think it's kind of interesting talking about Ted Cruz coming on here. You know, if you're people who are searching for reliable information. They're not going to the front page of the New York Times anymore. They're they're not going to Jen Rubin at the <laughs> whatever it is. They they go to this yeah. or they go to you know the in pod we trust thing. You know what you at least know where they're coming from. And what really matters is is the I mean I find uh, I find Rachel Maddow actually kind of interesting to watch. I and I know where she's coming from. And I don't think I really don't believe she makes anything up any more than, you know, anybody, you know, all coming from a different perspective does. And, and that and so so it is kind of interesting how the media has completely decimated the balanced journalism oh, yeah. uh, uh, platform or, 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 you know, model. And now it really is. Th this is where you go. You go. I go to opinion people. Yeah. To get. Because I because I trust them, and I know that they're not going to make something up. Well, at least some semblance of fact that they work off of, right? And, yeah. <laughs> it, well, well, no, yeah, obviously, and and but but the, but more to the point is that it's not they're not. Um, 
I, I know that they are skeptical. I just need a little skepticism, yeah. you know? Yeah. But these people, they will literally say anything. <laughs> I mean, it's just absurd. <laughs> well, on that score, I feel like we should play a game. Uh-oh. Yes. Let's do it. I love games. This is one of our finest. It's a game we call Demer Journo. And Charlie, I don't know if you've heard this game before, but what it is basically is we we line up statements and and what? Writings. Yeah, yeah. I read four statements, three of which are um, from members of the media. One is from a Democratic operative. You have to pick who the Democratic operative is of the four statements. So I have to remember four statements. In a <laughs> well, row. I'll read them. I'll read them and I'll read them again if necessary. I know, but I'm going to have to remember them that when you finish the fourth one. I'm going to have to remember the first one. Yeah, I think you. I so think I, you'll. Can in I real try time. to do? The, I can do it. All right, I'll try to do it. And you time. can talk it out. You know, you can workshop it. We like to talk it out. We like to talk it so out. So let's uh, let's cue up that music. Demo Journo, Demo Journo, Nobody knows the original. Yeah, we went back to the original music just to piss off Smug. <laughs> it's way too long. We should cut that in half. The original. A it has a grit. Classic. It has a grit. It has a, you know, it's just, it's a bootstrap version. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. All right. So <clears throat> let's get to business here. Okay. All right. Statement number one. Uh, these are all basically themed on. And remember, there are three journos. Yeah, three journos, one Democratic operative. These are themed on. Uh, you know, the voting rights, voting reform laws. So statement number one, it seems clear that the anti-democratic drift of the GOP will continue regardless of Trump's role. That's statement number one. Statement number two, the Georgia law effectively granted the Republican-led legislature new power to overrule state and county election officials and sway the outcome of an election. This is this is this is hard. <laughs> oh yeah. man, it's, it's really something. That one is so good. Statement number three. They are changing the laws such that not only are they no longer required to be nonpartisan, political appointees could could overturn elections without fear of being held accountable by the voters. <laughs> and statement number four lawmakers must act with more urgency on voting legislation also in the wake of the u.s supreme court deciding last month to uphold voting restrictions in arizona that democrats and voting advocates have called discriminatory on the basis of race <laughs> This These is, are so good. This is nasty. Yeah, this is a really tough. Game. It's a sick game. Oh my it gosh! Really is. Um, All right, let me let's just workshop it a little bit, and then we can. Can I hear number two again? I'm gonna hear two. <clears throat> the Georgia law effectively granted the Republican-led legislature new power to overturn state and county election officials and sway the outcome of an election. See, see, 
right, so so you can't tell the difference. First of all, <laughs> second of all, the best you could do is like pick out one yes, word. That's yeah, it. you're on it now. And, yeah. and and the word effectively. There you go. Is one of those words that it's like okay, this it's a weasel like, word. It's a we- total weasel word. Yeah, it's a fig leaf. Yeah, it's like the it's like yeah, it's like they wa- they want to just say it. They want to be an advocate. and They want to just say it, but, but they can't. They have then, to qualify it. But then but then you have the the, the flip problem, which is that. Um, Democrats have learned, politicians have learned that you can use these weasel You can kind of ape what the media right. says. And then you can start, well, then can, you get... I can't give it away. And they may just, and they may just print it. Mm. But the fact that you were so eager to glom on to... Ooh, he's reading it. It's the, a poker deal. Uh-oh. The effectively makes me think that it's number four. Oh, oh, but, wow. Okay, wait, hold on. This is... Because I know you want me to fail. This is this is this. <laughs> this is some incredible game theory. Yeah, you know, I had I had I had number four as my dem too. You had four. Yeah. Plus, plus should, I, should I just read oh, four again? Let's yeah. read four again. <clears throat> Lawmakers must act with more urgency on voting legislation. Also, in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court deciding last month to uphold voting restrictions in Arizona that Democrats and voting advocates have called discriminatory so, on the basis of race. I, lo- I love how you clear your... Th- this is like... Th- th- you want this th- these readings to... No, this is my favorite part of the Variety program. It's so good. And he does a very nice job. Um, so my only hesitation on four is that if you're a Democratic operative, you wouldn't say that Democrats have called. You would just say that voting rights advocates... Have called it. Well, what what if you're never Trump? Mm, wow. Well, well, wait, they, but they're not a Democratic operative. I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, who knows at that point? Yeah. Well, I mean, by definite, listen, if you guys are pulling one over on me. No, I'm just throwing, look. No, th- no, no. Disregard no. what I'm saying because I'm trying to lead you all astray. Mm-hmm. What did I say? I said he wanted us to fail. So yeah. I think that no, I know. But the re, the only thing that ha, that catches me about number four is that like like who actually cites anything? Well, nobody. No, no press secretaries when they're reading that bullshit at the top of every briefing, they're like the Democrats or that uh, voting rights advocates have said is terrible. So therefore, it's terrible. Oh, so we're including canned. Oh yeah, A Democratic operative. No, I got no, I got you. You I, know. So, look, number one. But you're also looking at the quotes. No, I'm not. Okay. I just I jotted some notes. I like to jot notes. Oh, no, no. We, we, we're very serious about this on the Variety no, program. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not challenging that, but I'm just saying that actually seeing it on paper would actually allow me to, like, ruminate. Okay, well, let, let me read number one again. I'll read number one. <clears throat> but you, you lull me when you do this. He's a visual this. guy. It's, it so seems visual. clear that the anti-democratic drift of the GOP will continue regardless of Trump's role. So here's the thing. You want me to go first? Go first. Uh, nobody look. Okay. okay. Holmes has submitted his answer. Okay. Smug has submitted his answer. Charlie. Uh, can I just say it or? Yeah. Oh no, no. You can totally workshop it. They've committed. I, I just, I, I think I have to go with, uh, I have to go with one. Okay. So Charlie and Holmes are on number one and smug said number four. 
The answer was number three. Oh! Wow. Reread. Number three. Lawmakers must act with more urgency. I'm sorry. That's not right. It was... Uh, no, it was number three. I'm sorry. I read the wrong one. They are changing the laws such that not only are they no longer required to be nonpartisan, political appointees could overturn elections without fear of being held accountable by the voters. That was uh, Georgia Dem rep Billy Mitchell. Mm. Uh, number one was uh, from the L.A. Times. Uh, number two was from the New York Times. And uh, number four was from ABC News. <laughs> Wait, what was can, can you read number four again? Lawmakers must act with more urgency on voting legislation. Also in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court deciding. It's a pure a, advocacy. This is yeah. nuts. Pure advocacy. That's from ABC News. I mean, there's nothing. There's That's not reporting at all. So I'm still confused. So it's one reporter and yeah. three yes. officers? Yes. Or yes. Three <laughs> yes. One. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. Yeah. No, it's three reporters. It's just been Smug's hang up for now six months. So I'm looking for the, for the one operative. Yes. Yeah, which you, you didn't get. You didn't get. No, which I got wrong. You yeah, couldn't get. But but we yep. both, it, it, let me just explain my my decision making here, is that it's, for one, if you're a Democratic operative, if you say a sentence that doesn't include Trump, you're not doing your job. Yeah, right? fair. You're not doing your job. Like, that's what they do. But if you're a reporter, you're also not doing your job at this point. Well, because but you, that's why the beauty of this game is it's one and the same. Right. It's one of the same. If you don't, man, if you don't mention Trump, you can't get traffic. Oh, man. I just thought, so two was easy for me. Effectively, granted, is a perfect New York Times yeah. weasel way of, of doing it. Three was difficult for me. I, I struggled little, a little bit with it because the political appointees could overturn without fear. Like, uh, I mean, that's not at all accurate, right? At all, but then you're like, to your point that you were making earlier in the program, you can just invent shit, right? If you're a journalist, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, maybe that's what's happening here, right? Right? Because I, I, I can't, I don't even understand how you could come to that sort of conclusion. Is you usually have to have a little bit of meat, right? If some evidence, yeah. If you're right. an operative, but not in this case, not in this case. What a get! I think that might be the first time we've ever missed entirely. Yeah, no. Let's hear it for the research team. Yeah, good work, good work, research team. I love it. All right, can we play us out with the tune? It's way too long. <laughs> Demorgerno, 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 Demorgerno. Nobody knows. It's just so hilariously long. The long, but here's the problem. You know, Smug, it's like you, you listen to like house music or EDM, or you, are you just shouting at the DJ to drop the beat? I never listen like, to that the, music. The, 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 the advantage of I the long version Mac and jazz. is it builds. They know when no, it sh- how long it should it be. It builds. De- this old version of Demer Journal, it builds. We add pieces of the harmony and it crescendos. Crescendo's all right. That's the quality. <laughs> Crescendo's. All right, let's get to our interview. Uh, she is an incredibly impressive individual. She's actually very, very funny um, and in, and very personable, which is not something you could say about every United States senator, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. Uh, senator Shelley Moore Capito, the dean of the West Virginia uh, delegation. Here she is. 
I want to welcome to the program an incredible senator, someone I'm a huge fan of, uh, Senator Shelley Moore Capita of West Virginia. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Josh. Great to be on. It is great to have you. You know, you are one of those rare senators who does the work, rolls up the sleeves, and and gets at it. And one of the things that uh, we have uh, come to appreciate is that you understand when you, there's a good deal on the table and when there's not, uh, you were sort of in charge of the first round of negotiations on infrastructure uh, with this White House and quickly came to the conclusion that the goalposts were moving and you had to head out of there. We've got whole new iterations of all of this now. What's your take on where we're at? Well, I think obviously, uh, as we speak today on Wednesday, we got a big uh, vote. Apparently, Senator Schumer is going to push the vote on whether we proceed to the uh, non-existent legislation. So right now, I think we are in a stall mode uh, until the bipartisan group comes act, out with actual text and how much it's going to cost and what it what it encompasses and what did they give up and what do they get. And I think that uh, the framework of it is is basically the framework that I set out when I first started with the president, which is physical infrastructure. It does go into a few different areas that I wasn't in, but it's, it's the same framework and it's just a lot more money. And uh, the big question is how does it get paid for? And that's, I think, what a lot of our Republican caucus is looking at. The pay fors, are they real? Do they really amount to anything? And I think that's where you see the committee really struggling. Yeah, no, no question. Well, and you see in the Democratic side, there is just huge divisions between the progressive side and, and I guess the more moderate side, although we're talking about trillions no matter what, right? So it's right. hard to tell where moderation is at this point. But is it your sense that they, it, uh, some kind of an accord is possible here on the pay-fors and that could actually get something done? You know, I think, uh, I think it's very much alive. I think it's, it's not a 80-20 proposition here. I think it's probably still 51-49. Uh, I think that, um, I think, and I don't, I, don't, I don't really have good information to base this on. I think that uh, Schumer wants to nail down his next step, yes. which is his $3.5 trillion plan before he'll move forward on this. And, and I think that may be where uh, the pressure is being applied most heavily to those several Democrats that are not really sure. Um, and uh, I, I don't think publicly they'll say they're nailed down, but I think they, that will be the ultimate uh, deal that will be made before Schumer lets the thing uh, actually have uh, the hope of passing that I think it probably will in the end. I think there I think there will be at least 10 Republicans that vote for it because there's a lot of Republicans that really want to have this. I'm one who want a bipartisan bill who want to have it paid for and without touching the taxes. And if they can get those uh, parameters going, uh, this will be good for the country. Yeah. The, the cynics amongst us, of which I have subscribed uh, <laughs> on occasion, um, mm -hmm. have have thought that sort of Schumer is handling all of this in a way to persuade your colleague, Senator Joe Manchin, and Kirsten Sinema primarily, but maybe a few other Democrats, that they've gone through the sort of bipartisanship that's necessary, the veneer of, of working together. And so now it's time to get on board for the big win, right? And, and what yeah. made us nervous about that is you had President Biden basically say the quiet part out loud after he was announcing right. this bipartisan accord and said, yeah, it's all linked. And then, of course, they right. walked it back. But does that make you nervous at all? 
Well, the only, I think you're, I, I, call me cynical. I think that, I, I think that the, the uh, scenario that you laid out is very much what's happened here. And, uh, and I think that uh, it needed to be proved that the, the uh, veneer of bipartisanship and a lot of good hard work that's gone into it too is going to exist and it's, we're going to give it the old college try. I do think the president needs a bipartisan win. And I think this is probably the one that he could, he could get gather. I've always said that the Democrats could always come in and do reconciliation. They've had that um, ability from the day I walked into the Oval Office the first time as the Republican uh, presenter of a plan. And, and so I, I don't really fear that because I don't think we impact that. That's really between 50 people. And not, none of that 50 is uh, any Republican or me. And, and so, I think the best thing then is to look at, can we narrow the focus of infrastructure to something that makes sense? Can we pay for this? Can we not touch the tax? And anything we do on that is going to impact what they can do on their larger one, uh, okay, I, yeah. I think. Yeah. And no, I don't think there's any guarantees there that they get that bigger one. I think they're going to run into some difficulties with that. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I'm glad you laid it out that way because there's sort of two schools of thought, right? And we had Senator Toomey on the other day, who I think subscribes to your school of thought that if you do something that is surface-based infrastructure, that's good policy, that it may make it much more difficult mm -hmm. to pass this larger package that House Democrats and Bernie Sanders and everybody are in love with. Right. And, you know, we don't know what's in this package. That's what gets me about the whole thing. They just fly out numbers. <laughs> even, even in my negotiations with the president, it, it was never about what are we going to do? It's that we have to get to a trillion dollars. It's, <laughs> it's and I'm like, what, what if our bucket of, of need only fills up to 500 or 600, which is where they are? Right. Uh, why wouldn't we just do that? Uh, and at the point at which I was in the negotiation it was always about, about how do you message a trillion dollars? You know, this is what it has to be. And that's what they're doing with this 3.5 trillion. Well, people in America don't do their budgeting at home like that. They find their need and then they figure out how much they have to spend. <laughs> I mean, it's nice you know? the, the substance and policy depth there that we're working yeah, with. Yeah. <laughs> it's hey, easy. it's going to be a trillion bucks. I don't know what, what we're going to spend it on. Yeah. It's got to be a trillion. There's, there's stuff we can put in here, I'm sure. Oh, God, it's nerve-wracking. But it does, it does get into the larger discussion about the economy writ large and some of the concerns I know you share about, you know, potential overspending, where we're at with inflation. You know, I, I got to imagine you're hearing from your constituents, we're hearing from everybody mm -hmm. who listens to this program that prices for everyday items have just absolutely popped everybody's eyeballs out of their heads. Yeah, the inflation issue is real. Uh, you know, gasoline is a basic. Uh, I know that's not part of the calculations that they use, but it's still, it's something that p gets into the psyche of every uh, traveling American uh, uh, when they, you know, are used to filling up their car for 25 and now it's 35 or something like that. So, uh, and, and the other thing is uh, the flood of, uh, of money going in, but then the lack of uh, job Right. takers. I mean, there's so, I hear from so many businesses that they can't, they can't open their business up fully because they can't get enough people. So then you have that disconnect. And then I can't build a house because I can't get the supplies. And you've got that dynamic going at the same time. So, I mean, retrospectively, I was very, in my early thirties, 
uh, the last time we had huge inflation and literally Charlie and I, my husband and I had a mortgage rate of about 18%, That's which was all you could do was pay the interest. Oh, you, you couldn't even touch the, uh, the principal and, and that combined with everything else. I, we just, and it slipped up on us quickly and, uh, as a country and it was terribly hard to repair. Oh. And that, I'm worried that's the direction we're headed. Yeah, I'm worried about it too. I mean, especially when we're talking about $3.5 trillion. I mean, right. and, and, and the target on a lot of that, it seems to me, is, is your, your in-state colleague, Joe Manchin, which I, I, I think is so hilarious. The contrast between the two of you is, is amazing. You, you just like work your, your tail off and, and get all these things done. He's like a drama machine. You're saying it. I, I'm saying it, not you, but he's like a drama okay. machine. You, <laughs> you, you have to deal with all of this. Do you think at some level people in West Virginia are going to understand somebody's support for something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think really if you look at our state, and, and you know this well because of your experience in, in Kentucky, uh, our state is totally transitioned. When I started running in 2000, right. I was the first Republican in 20 years that had been elected and the first Republican re-elected since the 50s. <laughs> and, and then it, we progressed and... Uh, uh, you know, Al Gore and and then President Obama just took the Democrat Party so left that our West Virginia Democrats were union, hardworking, right. you know, old style Democrats. And I think they started looking at their paychecks. They started looking at their neighborhoods and they thought ah, or listening to the rhetoric and just like, I, that's not me anymore. Right. And, you know, grand, grandpa's not here anymore, so I can vote Republican. And, and that's what's happened. And so then you got, we got David McKinley in 2010 as another representative. Then now it's just Manchin's the last man standing. And he, and he won his last race, but by the margins that he'd been winning by, a three-point a three margin is not very much. So our, our, our House, our Senate, our governor, it's all Republican, super majorities in both. And I never thought I'd see that ever. It's really incredible. And I, you know, you hear McConnell talk about the same thing in Kentucky when he was the only right. Republican there, but the, the transition between the two States is very similar. West Virginia right. a little bit later, but you've helped lead that charge, Senator. Well, thanks. And it's, it's, you're right. It's a very wonderful red state at this point. <laughs> it is, it is. And, uh, but you know, you still have to uh, work the, work the issues. And if you listen to, what our state wants and believes in it's it's definitely much more in line with what republicans believe especially contrasting with the democrats here in, in dc no kidding no kidding uh one issue i want to hit on because i know you've put a lot of thought into this it's the border crisis and mm -hmm. you have some responsibilities as ranking member on that homeland approach subcommittee um what is your sense of what's going on in the border what do we need to do well my sense is that the signals are loud and clear throughout uh, South America and the Northern Triangle countries, but also the world, that our southern border is open. Um, we have the, the amount of um, um, people that are uh, apprehended is 188,000 last month, most ever uh, in the last 21 years. Uh, also, young uh, children, we know that's way up uh, under 18. And then uh, families, but also people from all, all you know, like 40 different countries. Um, but uh, the, the number of people, here's a statistic that, and I can't give you the exact statistic, but I can tell you the trend. The trend of people that are apprehended 
that claim asylum that are then told at the border, look, we're not even going to process your claim at all. You just go ahead. We'll give you a ticket into the United States. And uh, if you could check in with your ICE office when you get there, um, that would be great. And, and it's called prosecut uh, prosecutorial um, uh, absence or something. So they don't even, they're not even going through the whole process. That sounds just like, going an honor, like an honor system. Exactly. An honor, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And, and, and these folks aren't showing up. Well, no wonder. Well, no wonder I, they're not showing up. And it, anyway, I don't even know how I could find my ICE office and, you know, I wouldn't even know where it is. But uh, so I think that's an indication that they've just thrown up their hands and going, I can't find a solution. I know the solution is not to detain them all here in, uh, in close quarters. We're going to have to spread them out in the, in the country. And that to me is, is a um, uh, abdication of, of the rule of law at the, at the southern border. No, no question about it. And the, the ramifications for what you just talked about are, are many, one of which is contributing to a continued opioid crisis, which right. you've spent a lot of time on. I mean, that's got to be, those are inextricably linked at this point. Well, they are because, uh, you know, we know that uh, the fentanyl that's coming in is now coming in through the southern border. It was previously coming in through China in our mail system, but we actually passed a bill that enabled our post office to really become effective at stopping that called it's called the stop act so it's coming in through um mexico heroin methamphetamine cocaine and other drugs um they've the apprehensions are way up of drugs but you don't know how they think the the amount that's going through is much more than what it's ever been but if you look at what the border patrol is having to deal with in terms of taking care of these folks that are in um, in detention they have to divert man and woman power into those areas where those could be people on the front line that would be in the in the drug diversion or drug disruption area. So it's, you know, humans are always going to trump, you know, taking care of humans and disrupting humans coming across the border is always going to take precedent over, uh, you know, trying to find the drugs. So more drugs are in more drugs are uh, apprehended, but that, that means there's more in this country and they're killing people, 90,000 people last year. The statistics in my state went up 49%. We lead the country per capita. Uh, it's really sad, a couple, um, my daughter's very close friend, um, OD'd in December oh. and died. So, I mean, these, these are, there isn't a family in our state that hasn't, doesn't know somebody who's been impacted deeply by this. No, oh, man, it's really, it's, it's yet, really another, bad. yet another reason mm -hmm. why we all need to be engaged in this debate. It's not just about right. border towns. It's about everything across the country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's lift the mood a little bit. Okay. Um, I got three big questions for you. Okay. You ask everybody and it's okay. a, little, a little get to know you. Uh, the first one is if you can plan out your last meal on earth, what would it be? Well, I would like to have my whole family and my seven grandchildren and everybody at the table with me. Okay. All right. And, and I've never been known as a very great chef, but my older son told me the other day that he really wants me to make my meatloaf for the kids. So I'd have meatloaf. Okay. Because you got to put bacon on the top, you know, <laughs> have it go down into the meatloaf. Um, I'd have fresh corn because that's what my mom loved. My grandparents loved the fresh corn. Uh, and I would probably have something chocolate for dessert, maybe a little wine on the side. It's your last and meal. You might as well. 
Right. Maybe a lot of wine on the side <laughs> since it's my last meal. And then some kind of potato, probably French fries. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's a full, yeah. that's a full meal. Yeah. yeah I like everything. And it's a family, a family affair. Right. Right. Good. All right. Well, that, that works for me. Second mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. I think I know the answer to this, but uh, our, list, our listeners may not. If you never got into politics mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. what would you be doing with your life? Right today? It can be literally anything. Okay. I would have loved, I don't think I could have ever really been this, but I'd love to have been a woman tennis pro. Yes. And, right. Yes. 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 Um, but if today I wasn't in politics, I would be working on my golf game. Yeah. Well, so you and Larry Kudlow have the same answer. He said he, oh, would, good. he wanted to win Wimbledon, which is- Yeah, I would like, maybe we could do mixed. I don't know. We could win it together. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, I can take both of those. That's great. And you were, a, you were a teacher at one point in your career. Isn't that right? Right. Yeah. And I worked in higher ed. Yeah. But- if I could be a woman tennis pro, that would be the best. Oh, it's, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. <clearly> the best. <laughs> All right. Final right. question. Yeah. What motivates Shelley Moore Capito more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? You know, I think it's more the agony of defeat because especially after achieving a victory, you know, after having one victory, the motivation is, uh, I, I, what does losing look like? And that's got to be the most miserable thing ever. So I want to keep winning. <laughs> that's perfect and absolutely yeah. on brand. I knew, I absolutely yeah. knew that that was going to be what your answer was. That's oh, really? Yeah. 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 That's perfect. You know, because it's you know, different people structure it in different ways, mm-hmm. right? And the agony mm-hmm. of defeat one, the poster child's always the Michael Jordan character that's like, wins right. are great, but I just am motivated by not losing, yeah, right? I don't want to lose. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I find that even when I'm playing like backgammon or Candyland, I don't want to lose. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, listen, Senator, thank you so much for joining us. I hope we can stay in touch and and keep us updated on all these important issues. All right, Josh, thanks for what you're doing. I appreciate it and love your podcast. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Take care. Uh Uh-huh, bye-bye. So like, look, she's got a, first of all, she's an eminently reasonable human being who has been in the room during infrastructure talks and I think provided us a pretty valuable insight about what the likelihood of all of that coming together is. Um, very topical. She's also just so serious. And I, I loved, I tried, <laughs> I tried to lead her into a little bit of discussion about Joe Manchin. <laughs> uh, she was very disciplined. But she did note that her state, very red. And that they were very interested in anyone who would consider voting for a $3.5 trillion boondoggle, uh, the likes of which would probably bankrupt every business in her entire state. You hear that, Joe? In case you're listening? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hope he was paying attention to that because there was a not-so-subtle message that was delivered. Good. so what's the uh, what's the Dem leadership uh, uh, play on this? How do they? What what's what's uh, assuming that this they're not going to get anything like what they're hoping to get right yeah. now? So what's how do they manage this? Well, I I have a very cynical take. You might not be surprised. Shocking. Uh, I think the entire bipartisan discussion has been a enabler of Schumer to basically come back to the table to Mansion and Cinema and a handful of others and say, look, we tried. Right. But if you're going to do anything in the Biden 
administration. We got one shot and it's 3.5 trillion bucks and we can get everybody on board. I think the, the analog to that, honestly, is a lot like after Republicans failed to repeal Obamacare in 2017 and all of a sudden it was tax reform or bust. And you had a whole bunch of people who were in different places on tax reform, but they also, they just dropped their objections essentially and went forward and passed that bill because they needed an accomplishment in that first year. It ultimately ended up to be a big deal and, and, and propelled the economy to higher places than it's been in a century. But I think Democrats now find themselves in a place where they're looking around like, hey man, we just spent $2 trillion in the first month uh, on something that used to be super bipartisan and we've done nothing else. But doesn't it, that, that also cuts both ways though. Because every minute you get closer to next year's elections, you get the, you you get people being more cautious. So That's right. that you people like Cinema being like, "Yeah, I'm I'm done. I'm out of here." We'll see, man. Democrats have an amazing ability to just throw caution to the wind. You remember they all lost the, their seats in 2010 with Obamacare. I think honestly, the the primary concern for Dem leadership right now is not catching the Delta variant from the Texas Dems. <laughs> <laughs> That's become their issue. I can't wait for Kamala Harris to have to come in there to cast a deciding vote and violate every so-called COVID exposure protocol oh, that yeah. she pretends to care about. They all have already. The Texas yeah. Dems had lunch with these people. Yeah. You know, like we all talked, last year we talked about how every Republican that came within 50 feet of somebody who had been potentially diagnosed had to quarantine for a month and a half. Right. Right. These guys have lunch with the guy with the Delta COVID uh, Comfort Plus. Yeah, the Comfort Plus. I'm waiting for the first class. I'm waiting for Delta first class edition. That's I really want to catch it. that one. Yeah, yeah that's when you're going to get it. Yeah. Anyway, listen, Charlie, we can't thank you enough, pal. This has been a blast. Well, I feel like a real failure. Um, Why? <laughs> for, 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 I mean, just completely. I mean, I'm, I'm the expert here, and I completely blew it on the, the, the Demer Journal. Yeah, we were really counting on you to have some inside info there. I, I just, I, my, even my cynicism is not uh, deep enough for <laughs> these waters. Well, that's what we aim to do on the show is make everyone more cynical. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's a mission accomplished. Smug, let's, uh, let's call it a week. So that's a banger of an episode, gentlemen. You know, thank you so much, Charlie, for being on. Probably the most fun episode we've ever recorded here. Loved it. So until next time, Minions. Keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.